one of the beautiful things of being a pastor is that you get to celebrate on the high moments of people when they are um, pursuing marriage, when they have a newborn, you get to celebrate, you get to pray uh, for the people. Uh, when someone gets a new job, you get to, you get to celebrate. Uh, and so one of the beauty of, of ministry is that you get to share in the joy of the people in your congregation. But one of the biggest challenges that I face in ministry is that you have to share the burden of, of the sorrow and the sadness that exists in those low moments in life. Uh, when you are lost of words, when you, you come to a place where life is so tragic and, and, and so broken that you have to be there and, and you have to be present and you have to know what to say. And I realized that, that that's something that's very difficult, especially when the situation is so broken and so tragic. Well, in today's passage, we see a, a, a story where if you would describe this story in, in one word, it would be, it's, it's a tragedy. Like, the people of this world would read verse 11 and 12, and they would say that this is a very sad, sad scene. No, Jesus, he's, he's continuing his public ministry. Last week, uh, we looked at how he was in Capernaum. He healed the, the um, servant of the, the official, and now we see that he's moving into this town called Nain, and his disciples and a crowd uh, were, was with them. Now, this town called Nain, um, not many of us know about this town, and that's okay. Because this is the only time that the Bible mentions about this town. Uh, and the reason why Luke is saying a town is called Nine is because most likely the people who were initially receiving this, this, this gospel, they too weren't aware about this town. Even if people lived in Israel, even if they lived in Judea, they weren't aware of this town because this town was so small and insignificant. Uh, we know that later on, uh, through archaeologists, that it was discovered that today this town exists at a slightly different name. Instead of the A, it's, it's the E. Uh, and it's located in Galilee. It's about 20 miles away from Capernaum. But even today, there's only about 200 people living in this town. And so this is a very tiny, small, obscure town that no one really knows about. But it's interesting that at the peak of his public ministry, when there's a great crowd following him, Jesus decides to leave Capernaum and he heads to this small, insignificant town. And it's not because there is something great in this town. It's not because this is going to help his campaign for the gospel. He goes to this town because there's someone in this town that needs to meet him. We see in verse 12, um, it says, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So in this small town, there's a funeral that's going on. There's a funeral uh, procession uh, uh, that, that's coming out of the town. They're at the town gate, and they're about to leave the town. And and the reason why this is happening is because when someone dies uh, back in the days, especially during Jesus' time, the body of, uh, of the dead person was considered unclean. So what would happen within a day is that that body, first of all, you would anoint the body with oil, and then you would cover it with something clean. You would put the body on a mat, and you would carry it out of the town 
because all the cemeteries were outside of the town because dead bodies were considered unclean. And what that tells you is that what's going on today is very, very fresh. It's very, very real. This just happened. It's not like people are mourning over something that happened months ago. Literally, this happened probably today or the day before it. Like the sorrow, the sadness is very, very real and raw at this moment. And we know that really any funeral that you attend, there's always this sense of sadness that exists. No matter how long this person lived, even if a person lived for 100 years and they faithfully followed the Lord and they have assurance of salvation and they were great people who accomplished great things, if you go to their funeral, there's a sense of heaviness, there's a sense of sadness mixed with joy, there's still a sense of sorrow and grief uh, because people miss this person. Um, still, we see the reality of death um, in our lives, and so it's really, really painful to be in, in any type of funeral. But in this particular c- case, we see that the heaviness of the funeral is, is super high. This is a tragic moment uh, in this woman's life. We read that the person who's being carried out is the only child of a mom, an only child of a mother, it says in verse 12. I feel like one thing that no one should be able to go through, one thing that people should not be able to experience is seeing their own child go into the grave. That's just, that's just thinking about that, right? Just imagining that, the pain and the sorrow that is involved, it's, it's hard to describe with words. Like the, your very own child, you know, dying in your hands, witnessing that. There's, there's no bigger tragedy in life than this, really. But we read that this is not the only traumatic moment that this woman experienced because she's a widow. She doesn't have a husband. She raised this only child on her own. We don't know what happened in the past, but we know that life was already difficult for her because she did not have a husband. At the same time, because she had a son, um, she had hopes. The son was relatively young. We see later on, Jesus calls this man young man. So this is happening earlier in this man's life. And so we see that this widow is going through so much in life. It reminds you of Naomi, right? The, the, the Naomi, how she went to this, this foreign land and lost her husband, lost her, who, her two children. And, and she's so bitter. She's so broken. When she returns back to her hometown, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means joy. Call me Mara, which means bitterness, because I'm that bitter and broken inside. This widow is so broken. You know, there's a, a study that was conducted early, um, uh, years ago called the Holmes uh, Rehi uh, Stress Scale, and many of you are familiar with this, especially when you are trying to um, analyze what a person is going through. Uh, they use this chart, um, a lot of them. It's, it's a chart that ranks all these life events that you can experience on the scale of 1 to 100, and they, they basically rate all these different life events uh, and how traumatic it is, how life-changing it is. And the number one life event that's going to transform your life, the, the one that's on the, on the scale of 1 to 100, the one that scores 100 is lo- losing a loved one, losing a spouse. 
That's how traumatic it is. I think number two is a divorce, which scores 73. And so these are traumatic events that are, that are happening in this woman's life. Now, you might ask, what about losing a child? And that's actually not on the scale, most likely because they weren't able to conduct all the research. But if you were to put that on the scale, I still think it wouldn't be on the scale because it would be off the charts. It would be, it would be so devastating uh, for a person to see their child die in front of their eyes. And so you kind of have an a small understanding of what's going on in this woman's life. Her life is, is shattered. Her hopes are shattered. There's no sense of, of security in her life. It's not just her emotions that are going, running wild, but now that she doesn't have a man in a society that is driven um, by men, she has no provision, no protection. Like It's great that we are living in the 21st century where people can take care of of themselves. We have social security, retirement plans, life insurance, all those different things to make sure that we can continue with life. But none of that exists in in, in Jesus' time. And therefore, it was a big deal to be a widow. That's why, you know, society had had to take care of the orphans and the widows. It's not just a matter of of losing a loved one um, for this, this widow but it's the fact that she sees no future. She is lost of all hope. She feels like nothing can sustain her, that all security is now gone, and the pain, the sorrow, the trouble that she's feeling is overwhelming. And so that's the situation. That's the setting of the story. Such a tragic, sad story until Jesus shows up, and that's when things change completely. Uh, You know, it's interesting because, you know, at this moment during this funeral, Literally, a dead body is being carried out of the city. So death is being carried out of the city. And on the same moment, you have life, Jesus, walking into the scene. You have Jesus, who is also light. He says, I'm the light of the world. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the true light, and he is the true life. And in the midst of this dark moment, the true light walks in. In the midst of this deep sorrow, you have life walking in. And so what we're going to see in the following is what happens when death meets Jesus. What happens? It says in verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, the very first time um, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is called Lord. Luke calls uh, Jesus Lord. The Lord saw her, and he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now, if you haven't been to many funerals, you, a lot of times you go to a funeral, you're not sure what to say, especially to the family that just lost a loved one. Uh, I just want to advise you, don't follow Jesus in this particular case. Um, if, if Family Feud had had a question asking things not to say uh, at a funeral, most likely this would be the number one answer. Do not weep. In other words, stop crying, uh, stop whining, right? You never say that at a funeral. Like, there's a reason to weep. There's a reason to mourn. And yet, Jesus, he walks up to this, this woman. He, he, he looks at this funeral, and he says, don't weep. Be silent. And it might be inappropriate for us, but it's absolutely appropriate for Jesus. You know why? Because we have no power over death, and we don't know what to do when it comes to death. But Jesus has a plan when it comes to death. Jesus is saying, do not weep, because he is about to do something. 
That's the only reason why he has the right to say, do not weep. Uh, for us as Christians, we are actually called to weep with those who weep. In Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We ought to share in the high moments of, of one another. We ought to share the burden of the low moments of one another. So it's really important for us to be there for one another, especially in difficult times, hard times. But what we see in today's passage is Jesus is not like us. It's not that he can just share in our pain, but he can do something about our pain. So we see in verse 13 that he's about to do something. But the first thing I want you to notice, if you're taking notes, is this. There are three things I want you to notice about Jesus in today's passage. First thing is this. Notice the compassion of Jesus. Notice the compassion of Jesus. Now, Jesus, he's not just feeling sad about this woman. He's not just feeling, man, like pity for this woman. But what we see is that he feels the deep pain and the sorrow of this woman. That word compassion also can be translated as love. Love and compassion is driving the heart of Jesus. It might seem like Jesus is so insensitive. Maybe you might think, well, Jesus knows what's going to happen. So he has no emotions whatsoever. No, Jesus is absolutely emotional at this moment. He is driven by compassion. You think about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, he did not just walk into Lazarus' tomb and say, hey, Lazarus, get up. No, he, he wept. He wept with the sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, he was broken inside, reality of death. It's not that he didn't know what to do, but he feels the pain of the broken people. He is full of compassion. He's driven by love. But at the same time, we also say that, see that Jesus is full of grace. The second thing that I want you to notice is the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. Now compare this story with the story that we heard last week. The centurion who asked, um, asked uh, Jesus uh, for his servant to be healed. And what Jesus says is, man, centurion, you, your faith is great. Like you took initiative to come to me to send your people. You said that I don't even have to be there. And so Jesus says, your faith is great. Man, uh, uh, you did a wonderful job. And so it seems like it's the right thing for Jesus to heal the, the servant. But at the same time, in today's passage, you look at the widow, and the widow did nothing. She didn't recognize Jesus. She didn't say a single thing to Jesus. All she's doing is weeping. She's devastated. She's broken. And yet, the Bible says that Jesus saw the woman. The Bible says Jesus came up to her. And so what we see is Jesus is taking an initiative. It's not because this woman said the right thing or did the right thing. It's out of pure grace, something that she did not deserve, and yet something that Jesus was willing to extend. So Jesus is driven at this moment by love, compassion, and grace. But the third thing that we see in today's passage is the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bearer, the casket, in, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now again, at a funeral, it's not uncommon to have um, you know, a casket in the, in, in, uh, in, in the middle or in the front. And then people would come up, whether it's an open casket, uh, closed casket, uh, and they would spend a little bit of time before the dead body. And, and sometimes people say things, right? But you, you never say things where you are expecting a response at that moment, right? You're, you're probably saying, man, I miss you. Like, I love you. You're saying things that are really coming from your heart, but you're really talking to yourself. But Jesus, he is demanding a response. What he says is, young man, I say to you, 
arise, arise. Like imagine the room at that moment, like the, 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 the scene, the, the people, the crowd there. Like you go to a funeral full of people and imagine a person goes up to the casket and says, young man, arise. Like it, it gets super awkward. But what's even crazier is the fact that this young man, it says in verse 15, sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, I'm really curious to, to, to know what this man said. What were, what were the first words of this man, right? Like, man, that was a good sleep. Or maybe, like, you know, I don't know where he was. But what we see is that, that this man is alive. He was really dead, but now he is alive. Once again, in the Gospel of Luke, what we see is the adequacy and also the authority of the words of Jesus. With a few words, Jesus is able to, to, to raise this man back to life. But you have to notice that the, the focus of this passage is actually not on this man, but it's on the widow. Because what it says is that, I mean, Luke, he doesn't even mention what this man says, but instead he mentions that Jesus gave this man to his mother. So the woman is restored. Her life was so broken and shattered before, and when Jesus showed up and simply raised her son back to life, we see that, that there's restoration that takes place in, in this mother's heart. Joy is restored once again. Peace is restored once again. Imagine you sending your son you know, in such a way, you know, thinking that you lost your son and that son is, is, is alive again. The joy that would come with that incident. The power of Jesus is able to raise the dead back to life. We see three particular cases in the Gospels with Lazarus. One time he raises um, this young daughter of a father. And, and so we see that diff- at different cases that Jesus is able and, and willing to raise uh, the dead. And what we read in verse 16 is the people's response. It says, fear seized them all. I would be frightened as well, shocked, right? If someone in a casket sat up and, and started talking, I'll, I'll, I'll be freaking out as well. Uh, but as they're thinking about this, it says they glorify God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this spread out all throughout the country. Now, why do they say God has visited his people? They're actually making a connection at this moment with two prophets in the Old Testament who raised people back to life. Elijah and Elisha, two prophets. Elijah in 1 Kings 17, uh, when he raised a son of a widow, um, and Elisha, when he raised another son of a woman. It's quite interesting that, that when Jesus is displaying his resurrection power, a lot of times women's are, women are involved. That, that God is close to those who might be neglected in society. God is close to the brokenhearted. Um, and even in today's passage, we see that Jesus is willing to restore this, this brokenhearted woman and, and bring her son back to life. And so people see this and, and they're like, man, this is a work of God. This is a great prophet. But what they did not know is that Jesus is more than a prophet. Elijah and Elisha had to call upon the Lord to, to raise that son, but Jesus did not have to call upon the Lord. He did not have to pray because he himself is the Lord. With a few words, he's able to not only heal this man, but bring this man back to life. So we see the love and compassion of Jesus. We see the grace of Jesus. We also see the power of Jesus. And there's one question I know everyone is dying to ask. Is this really real? Right? Can this really happen? I think the reason why we are not that shocked about the result of this story 
is number one is because we are familiar with Jesus. We, we are aware that Jesus is more than capable of doing these things. We read, read it throughout the Gospels. But at the same time, we don't really see this in our everyday life. And so it feels like a fantasy. It feels like a made-up story. Like a lot of people would say, I lost you, Pastor James, at this moment. I mean, I can understand, you know, sick people being healed. But when you talk about dead people coming back to life, that's a bit too much for me. Like, that's a little bit too extreme. And if you show me today that a dead person can come back to life, then I'll believe you. I think a lot of people would question and doubt the power and the goodness of God in this passage because we feel like this type of resurrection does not take place in our lives. But I want to argue today that the reason why Jesus is not showing this type of power is not because he's unable, it's not because he's unwilling, but he's simply waiting. He's waiting for that moment where he's going to call my name, James, arise. Hopefully he'll call your name, so-and-so, arise. You know, our problem with death is this. We try to do everything in our power to stay healthy, to, to delay death. But death is inevitable in every person's life. We, we, we don't have the ability to conquer death. We have the ability to delay death, but we don't have the ability to conquer death. And Jesus understands this. What would have happened if this person came back to life? Well, well, or what would happen if someone that we love would come back to life? This person came back to life. He would have lived another couple of years, you know, happy memories with his mom, and, and great things would have happened, and then he would have died. The widow would have died too. In other words, what would have happened in this moment is, is death is just being delayed. And so Jesus understands that he can't just delay death, but he needs to defeat death. So what he decides to do is instead of, raising all the dead people back to life, he goes to the heart of the problem, which is sin. The very reason why death exists in the world to begin with. Mankind were created in the image of God to be in this perfect place in God's presence. And when sin enters into the world, the Bible says death also, also enters into the world. Sin separates us from God, who is the source of all life. And as a result, we live in this broken reality that's full of death, full of sorrow, full of pain, full of grief. And so what Jesus decides to do is not just treat the symptom, he goes straight to the problem. And what is that problem? It's sin. He decides to go to the cross. And this time, God the Father decides to give up his son. And the son dies. And as he dies on the cross, he takes our place. He takes the death that we should have taken. Uh, he, he takes the punishment of sin that we should have taken on the cross. And when we believe in him, the Bible says that we will not perish but have eternal life. With the true resurrection, the ultimate resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, what Jesus does is he creates this opportunity for us. And when one day when he returns that he's going to call our name and he's going to say, arise. And things are going to be healed. Things are going to be restored. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 16, listen to this. It says this. For the Lord him with a cry of a command, with the voice of an angel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. So the reality of the resurrection is a future reality that will take place for those who are in 
Christ. The Bible doesn't say that all who are dead will rise, uh, although um, later on in the book of Revelation, that's an idea that's, that's given to us. But what's important is this. Those who are in Christ will one day arise and enjoy life for eternity. Enjoy life in its fullness. Enjoy life in its wholeness. Enjoy life where there's no brokenness, no no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no more sin. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's simply giving us a foretaste of what it's like to be in God's kingdom. I think the reason why we deeply desire to see a miracle like this is because we actually are aware of the brokenness in our lives. That we see that death is a real problem. That we hope that Jesus somehow would provide a way for us to escape death. And the good news is this. He did provide a way for you and I to escape death. And it's not just in a few words, but it's through the work that he displayed on the cross and in his resurrection. And so when we believe in him, those who are in Christ will rise with Christ. That's what the Bible says. We die to our sins as Christ has has died on the cross and our sins are buried uh, and then no longer associated with us as, as Christ was buried into the ground and we rise with Christ, that we are able to defeat death, live in security. Our future is secured in Jesus Christ for because of this reality that Jesus has this resurrecting power. And why does Jesus give this to us? The reason is quite simple. His love, his compassion, and also his grace and his power all working together for your salvation and my salvation for eternity. So death cannot separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. We are not outside the reach of, of Jesus' power. Jesus enters into our lives in such a way. The good news of Luke 7 is this. On the worst day of this woman's life, on the lowest moment of her life, when the world was falling apart in her life, she met Jesus. That Jesus was willing to enter into her life, into her brokenness, into her mess. And he was willing to restore this woman in the same way. I don't know what kind of mess you're going through, what kind of brokenness you have. Maybe it's not to the point where you have lost your, your child or, or your, your spouse. But I think in different ways, every single one of us, we are living with a broken heart that there is sorrow and grief, and a lot of times we feel like we can't share this. A lot of times this drives us away from God. And what the Bible is telling us is this, you have to run to God, that you have to run to Jesus. This is the reason why Jesus came. In today's passage, we see that Jesus came for the brokenhearted. And Isaiah 61, when talking about the coming Messiah, about what he's going to do, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's his mission, to share the good news to the poor, but also to bind up the brokenhearted. That's at the very front of Jesus' mission. It says in Isaiah 61, 2, he came to comfort all who mourn. In Isaiah 61, 3, it says, he gives us the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. The very reason why Jesus went to the cross, died on your behalf, defeated death through his resurrection is so that he can bind up your heart, so that he can take on your sorrow, so that you would not have to live in suffering 
and, and, and in this sadness anymore. But you can have joy and gladness and comfort in the midst of your mourning. That is the good news of Jesus. And why does he give this to you? It's out of grace, out of love, and out of compassion. Because he is powerful, he gives this. So, so one quick application that I just want to share. When you are struggling in life, when you are really broken and everything is so, so dark, People have a tendency to live in isolation, to go into this cave, uh, to stay away from God and to stay away from God's people. The Bible tells us today that your only hope is to run, to run to Jesus. That he is the only one who knows exactly what's going on inside of you. He's the only one who knows how to fix your brokenness. Trust him. Rely on him. There's nothing that he does not see. That he, there's nothing that he cannot repair. Now, sometimes Jesus restores us by giving us the very thing that we desire. Sometimes Jesus restores us by giving us something even better. And so we have to trust in his goodness. We have to trust that he is able. We have to trust that his plan is is absolutely true. And so trust him today. Follow him today. Don't rely on other things of this world with your brokenness, but look at the Savior that's willing to heal the brokenhearted. Amen? Let's pray.